Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Net Positive Podcast. A podcast which educates and inspires marketers, product managers, and companies in the best way to generate and optimize your flows. We're your hosts, Matt Brown and Jess Walker, and we will bring you the latest on how to improve your signup flow, increase your leads, and grow your business. Let's Let's jump jump in. in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Net Positive Podcast. Today, we're speaking with Alex Robertson, a product manager at Stake, which is a growing platform making it easy to trade US stocks. We discuss everything from how to optimize your onboarding flow, particularly within the fintech space, which is highly regulated, and how to build trust in a brand within the company to differentiate yourself from competitors, and methods used to nudge that customer through to purchase. Let's dive in. G'day, Alex. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, Alex, you you have not had the standard product management career. You know, you actually started out, I believe, doing a degree in finance and economics and have found yourself as a product manager at stake. But we'd love to hear how you kind of went from finance to product management. I think product management is a very new career, especially COVID's only accelerated the demand for, you know, as more businesses are kind of moving towards being more tech-enabled and then having positions that, you know, are required to kind of management uh, manage that that uh, transition. Um, for me, coming out of university, I was, I was kind of looking at the standard, like you know, going on the big banks or consultancy firms or something like that. Yeah. I think like, you know, in interviewing for those positions and doing the entrance tests and stuff, it kind of, the structure of those companies was a bit frustrating for me. Right. <laughs> um, I, I remember like I was doing a entrance exam for, I think it was, you know, maybe I shouldn't say the name, but Westpac, but, uh, <laughs> um, and I'd, I scored like really, really highly on the, you know, intelligent, whatever it is, the intellectual kind of test. And then they do the, you know, the other test. It's like your cultural fit or mm. uh, like the questions were like, you know, would you tell anyone if someone was stealing work merchandise or something. And I was like, oh, it's such a vague question. Like, you know, is it a pen or is it like a computer? Like, I don't, Yeah, you know. exactly. And then, so I ended up scoring like the lowest deciles and those things. And I was like, oh, it's just frustrating because it's just, you know, I feel like that's what you get into in the culture <laughs> there. So I was actually going for a surf one day um, with a great mate of mine and he was just telling me about, he was just starting his own thing as a, you know, uh, it was like a fitness gym app. And um, he was telling me about uh someone who was kind of mentoring him, uh, who was a serial entrepreneur and um, she was looking for a kind of utility player just at a mm. university just to come and, you know, basically do whatever was required in a small business. I think at the time it was like 25 employees or something. Um, so I was kind of just like, oh, you know what, I'll go and, you know, do it as a bit of interview experience at the least and and um, kind of rocked up originally thinking it was just a, a chat and turned out they thought it was like a, it was a full interview and I didn't have my resume or anything. I was just kind of <laughs> there and we were just talking and I think, that's kind of what I enjoyed about the, you know, the startup space is a little, it's a lot more relaxed and it's a lot more kind of just like who you are and what you can add to the team and um, ended up getting off of the role. And, you know, I really thought about it long and hard. Um, I was like, oh, you know, is this really, do I want to jump into the, you know, startup world? There's a lot more risk. I've always been told like, you know, go the safe route. Where yeah, big, to, big four bank. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, look, uh, decided to take the plunge. I was like, I'm young and, you know, I'm keen to go overseas again and, and, you know, opportunities in America were there with swipe jobs. Um, so I took a plunge and, you know, within six months there, I was the only employee in the US uh, managing, you know, a $1.2 billion client and, and wow. you know, dealing with the, had my own like office in this building in Chicago and was you know, dealing with the development team back in Australia and then, you know, with the executives of that company every day. And so it was, um, yeah, I don't think I look back from there basically. <laughs> I'm sure that's. So I got into it and I kept growing and I've found it a wildly exciting career so far. And then you've uh, come back to Australia and ended up at Stake. In June 2020, I... You know, made the decision to come back to Australia from from the US. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, you know, I always, I really, really enjoyed swipe jobs and the experience was, was amazing. But um, I think from an industry perspective, it wasn't, you know, where I wanted to be. And I think in product management, it's really key to, to love the product. Like, yeah. you know, there's a certain, you chase the experience and I think the experience takes you a long way and it's incredibly exciting. And then you get to this point where it's like, I feel like I'm now in a position where I can net add and, you know, is this a, an industry and, and a product that I truly want to net mm. add to? It's very net positive of you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so, and I've always been interested in the, you know, in the kind of fintech space and in trading specifically. So, you know, I was looking for that those kind of roles over in San Fran originally. And then when I made the decision to come, come back to Australia, I stumbled across Stake and then I looked on their website and like, we're hiring a product manager. I was like, oh, well, this is meant to be. So I actually picked up, um, picked up the job while I was in hotel quarantine. So, um, oh wow. Yeah. Productive hotel quarantine. Well done. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a good place to uh, spend some time going deep on a subject. Yeah, no, it is. It is. I tell you what, I, um, it kept me, uh, you know, kept me motivated through, through that experience. I actually weirdly quite enjoyed hotel quarantine, but maybe that's. Uh, I did it twice and didn't feel the same way as you. <laughs> weirdly did not like it. Um, so tell us what, what is stake for the listeners who don't know? Basically, it's it's similar to Robinhood in the sense of a you know no commission trading in U.S. equities, um, but it's for internationals trading into the U.S. market. So right. it originally started Matt Leibowitz, who's the co-founder and CEO of Stake, had come from a legal background and then into kind of trading um, yep. with a company called Optiva, and had actually been running one of the desks over in Chicago. So we kind of connected on that, and him and I had similar experiences. The U.S. market's incredibly exciting. Uh, it's a lot more intense than Australia. Um, and when you kind of come back to Australia, there's a bit of like a, you know, you feel like you've lost a bit of that intensity to a certain degree. And right. you know, Matt coming from a training background was like, I want to bring that to Australia. And that's kind of what the the initial reason for wanting to start steak, uh, you know, where that came from. I personally really love steak. I don't think I've told you the story, Matt, but back in 2019, I downloaded the app just to kind of see what the onboarding process was like. A, love the onboarding process, but B, I just through $500 in any random business and it happened to be Zoom right before oh. COVID. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I would have threw in like $5,000, but yeah, I was just testing out how the app worked and it was beautiful, but then, yeah, yeah. I also got a nice return. So thank you, Stake, for existing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think a lot of people are pretty stoked coming out of uh, 2020. It's certainly been pretty hard to lose money. I would I'll put it that way if you got in at the right time. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go to the stake onboarding flow. So that was one of the first things that you worked on when you joined. I mean, I've been through it and I, I love the process. It feels like you're actually onboarding with a friend, which is, I don't know how you've done that, but it's amazing. So yeah, walk us through the, the onboarding flow. Yeah. So I think, um, I think you'd actually be onboarded to the original, to the onboarding flow prior to, to me starting. Mm. Um, it's very similar today. Um, from my perspective, you know, there, there were quite a few UX improvements to be made through that onboarding flow, like, you know, just to make it a little bit more um, new age with what's expected in apps today and, and mm-hmm. to improve the, the speed at which customers can move through it. Um, I think for us, it's really about, if you look at all the fintech brands globally, um, you know, you're, and it's funny, we we're actually doing this the other day. We had like a big slide deck with all the different logos and things, your, your Coinbase's, your Wises, your Revolut's and 26 and all the rest. And, they all just look the same, you yeah. know, like mm. you've, they've all got that bubble writing and it's really clean and it's like, you know, your whites and your pastels and your, and I think like for steak, it's a bit more, we're trying to bring a bit more personality to that space. Which is dangerous because the reason they all copy each other is because it's frictionless from a user onboarding <laughs> perspective. <laughs> Definitely. And I think also it's the kind of safety of finance, you know, like everyone, 
thinks that, I mean, and it's true, obviously trust is a huge part of the product. Um, but I don't think that means that you can't be adventurous in your brand and you can't mm. be, you know, trying to have a bit of personality. And I think certainly that's something that Stake's been effective at to date and, and something that we're looking to push um, a lot harder in the near future. And so from an onboarding perspective in terms of, you know, feeling like it, uh, you're onboarding with a friend, I think that's what we try to do, create those little moments between the key phases of mm. information capture to just like hammer home a bit of that personality, whether it be, you know, the Apple moment where it's like, if you've done this on your birthday after they enter their date of birth, you know, this is what it would be worth today. It makes me happy, but also sad. Like, <laughs> why didn't I invest when I was zero? Yeah, yeah. And some people have that reaction, like, cheers, bro. Like, yeah. like you know, <laughs> could have told me this you know, yeah, exactly. 30 years ago when it actually was relevant. But um, no, I think, um, I think, you know, that's, again, like it's that reaction and trying to trying to have a bit of, it's almost like a friendly conversation. I think that's um, something that we try to do in a lot of things, especially in onboarding, so. And what are some more examples of, you know, the other nudges that you've put in there or the personality that you've implemented to to bring them through the process? Yeah, I mean, I think just in different loading wheels and things like that, you know, um, there's a lot of moments where from a, you know, kind of take you behind the scenes, we, we're trying to hide something that's a bit slow technically and so we decide to make a, a value moment of it. Um, oh, nice. I like <laughs> so that. I think, um, you know, there's a lot of creativity that we have there and, and um, I think users like that. And, and to also, like, to be honest, Again, in the finance world, and I think from a, a trust perspective, you know, sometimes if something happens instantly, you can feel a bit like, well, what just went on? Like I've now got a trading account in the US and how did this happen? So almost like drawing out those moments a little bit and, and making it seem like something's happening behind the scenes, even if, even if you know, maybe it's actually an API call that responds in 300 milliseconds, but you decide to drag it out for a second and a half. It just seems a little bit more... Mm. It's really interesting that you say that because a lot of the time we talk to people about their onboarding flow and it's like, how can we minimize all the friction? How can we do it in the fastest way possible and cut out as many points as we can? But you're saying the opposite, that you're saying sometimes we draw it out a bit longer to build that trust and to... Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think when I started in the onboarding flow that you went through the median time um, to complete that onboarding flow from sign up to registration was like 11.8 minutes. Um, and a since... Yeah, which is a long time, right? So, and since, you know, I've gone in and we've made a, an update to that whole flow, we've got it down to like 4.1 or something. Um, so that's just through UX improvements and that's just through, you know, making the page structure um, you know, easier for a customer to, to recognize and move through. Um, but at the same time, you know, what's the difference between 4.1 and 4.5? Like if the customer comes out of 4.5 feeling a little bit more like, wow, that's awesome as opposed to it being, you know, 20 seconds yeah, faster or whatever. It's it's minimal at the end of the day. Honing in a little further on how you differentiate. So, you know, we were talking before, there's there's a huge number of competitors in this space. And as you said, you couldn't really lose money in uh, the last sort of 12 to 18 months unless you really tried. Um, you know, how like how are you differentiating from competitors once people have been through your sign-up flow? Like how are you thinking about sort of staying ahead and creating creating more, I guess, blue ocean or more space for you to continue to grow as a product? You know, I think for us, it's 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 all about that brand personality, and and you know, it's hard to differentiate yourself in a market where you're almost restricted in in the functionality you can provide by the underlying mechanic, which is the exchange. Yeah. Um, so for us, it's about you know, as I say, like why did Matt start Stake? It was about bringing that energy and that excitement of the US market to Australia, uh, and then you know, we've expanded that into the other regions we now operate in. Um, and I think that's something that we continue to push, like differentiate ourselves on the content that we create on, you know, 
the community that we're building or um, that general brand voice that we're, we're bringing through um, the product and our, and our marketing content. And um, I think we're seeing that like customers will be a lot stickier if they believe in what you're doing and they really like you as a brand. Um, if you play the functionality game, it's a, it's a dangerous game in some instances because you're always opening yourself up to a competitor coming across and, yep. you know, copying what you do. And it's much easier to be a second or third mover than it is to be a first. So um, not that we are a first by any means. Um, so I think finding differentiation that's separate from functionality is really important and only becoming more so in, in markets that are becoming you know more and more crowded. And I think you see that kind of go in waves where it's really crowded and then consolidates and really crowded and then consolidates. And I think like we're just at that stage where it's incredibly crowded and <laughs> hopefully we'll be at the stage where it's consolidated as well. So Awesome. I want to touch on the numbers and the conversions with your onboarding flow as well. I think we spoke about it about a week ago, but from first point to I want to use stake to actually using stake and putting money in, what do those conversions rate look like? And how do you, how do you look at them and say, how we can improve on this point and, you know, you can actually see that improvement. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, we kind of look at um, three key points. One is sign up. Um, So kind of first touch to sign up, you know, with things that are happening in that space around iOS 14.5 and not being able to do, um, you know, tracking at an individual level, that's becoming harder to do, um, right. in, you know, from in the precise way that I guess people have been used to. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, at a kind of finger in the wind, it's, it's pretty easy to get an idea of whether you're converting well from, you know, your, your above the line channels through to your um, actual, you know, signups in the product. Um, so that's the, the first key point. Sits a little bit more on the marketing team, although I, I do have input on it from a product perspective and, and you know, how we're doing things technically and tracking data. Um, Within the product, it's really from sign up to registration, which is the information capture. So what's actually required to create a brokerage account in the US for a customer. Um, And then from registration to first funding. Um, So the onboarding updates that, you know, I I made when I first started at Stake with, with, it's not me really, it's the whole team that (laughs) makes them, but, uh, um, you know, they were much, really much focused on that sign up to registration. Um, How can we make that, you know, my kind of, premise going into that was if we just get more people down the funnel, then you have more to play with at each step. Um, I think that's, you know, a good way of approaching it. Um, so it was about making that a faster process, getting more people through. And, and you know, we found solid improvement there. I think we, we had a good conversion rate already. It was like 78% or something of our customers who signed up registered. Um, we're now at like 85, 86%. Um, and then, you know, from registration to first funding, it's uh, not as good. It's like 50%. Um, so I think overall our conversion through the entire funnel from sign up to first funding is like 49 point, I think it's like 48.7 or 49%. Pretty high. Yeah, it's solid. It's good. You know, I mean, we're, we're stoked on it, but you know, there's always improvements to be made. And, and I think like, you know, to your point, the, the first focus was on that sign up to registration. And now, you know, I've been focusing more in on the, the funding part of that. So, so from registration to funding and, um, you know, something that, that we found was that 85% of our funded customers fund in the first 24 hours and 15% fund post 24 hours of, of registration. Um, so basically, if you don't convert them in the first 24 hours, there's a very small likelihood that you will convert right. them. Um, and I don't know if you're aware, but we have that kind of give you a free stock if you fund in the first 24 hours. And so, you know, for for us, and I worked with a, a few others and, you know, was kind of testing out with um people in the space, but from other companies and things, it was like, let's just be 
way more aggressive with that in that first yep. 24 hours. I mean, you've got nothing to lose really. Like let's plaster it everywhere and be like fun, 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 24 hours, you know, totally. have that stock counting down. And, yeah. Yeah. So, and look, we implemented that two weeks ago or something and I'll keep tracking that and see what, seeing what's happening. Um, we've got a, you know, rather large um, app release coming a few months down where we kind of completely re-architecting the app in a, in a new technology. So, I've kind of got this like two, three months to play with and, and, you know, start testing some things before we, you know, change quite a lot. So it's about just trying to experiment and learn. Maybe shifting from from sort of product evolution to your personal evolution for a minute. So, you know, you went and did that finance and economics degree. You went and applied for that big four job. You went through the personality test and were like, oh, shit, I'm not <laughs> cut out for this job. Uh, you moved into um, sort of product analyst role and now into product manager. What are, what, like, what are the, you know, one or two sort of key lessons that you picked up through that journey that, you know, think listeners would take away if they're starting to think about how they, how they might move from product analyst to product manager or the like? For me, the way that I view product is it's not um, it's not just what the customer interacts with. It's not the app. It's not the the web platform. It's actually the entire business. And that that you know at stake, we talk about that as you know customers, um, partners, staff, and shareholders. And and I think that's true of any business. Um, in fact, it's actually customer, staff, partner, shareholders. But yeah, know, regardless of the ranking. But um, you know. I think in product management, that is the role. It's the the entire product is a business and it speaks to what I was talking about in terms of brand. Um, you know, you can have a great a great app, like something that's, yep. you know, awesome from a functionality perspective, but if you've got no brand, then no one knows about it. Yep. You can have a great app and a great brand, but if you don't have a revenue model, then it doesn't matter. You know, you yep. can't pay your employees. So I think that's the role of product to me is it's actually being uh, across everything, but a master of nothing. And, and so... Um, and kind of trying to draw the connections between all those different functions in the business mm. and, and coming from that kind of BA product analyst background and getting exposure to all of that with, with swipe jobs and then yep. also picking up, picking up the technical experience required. Mm. Um, it was, it's been incredibly useful and then, you know, moving into more of a product management role. You're working with so many different teams from marketing to engineering to the executives. How do you bring them all together to focus on your product or your aspect of your product? (laughs) (laughs) You don't? (laughs) You try. (laughs) It's a tough one. I think it's a lot about the team culture that you build. It's easier at some companies than it is at others. Um, I certainly think a skill in in anything but but particularly in product management is understanding how to communicate with different stakeholders. Yeah. you know, the way in which, and probably hate me for saying this, but the way in which I, I communicate with the developers is very different to the way that I communicate with executives and it's very different to the mm. way I communicate with, you know, the marketing team. You're way nicer than developers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that. but also way more specific. You know, I'm, I'm aware that like they will pick you up on, if you don't if you don't say something exactly how they expect it to be, then, then you know, they'll pick you up on that. And I think, mm. and, but then with, you know, marketers, you can be a lot more kind of, this is what we generally want to do. And, yep. and so I think like that's, um, that's kind of key being able to communicate at the, at the appropriate level for the stakeholder that you're dealing with. In terms of stakes, different customer bases, you've got you different personas. How do you kind of a market to them, but then adjust the product based on who your, your customer is? At the moment, like our, our average, or sorry, the, the median age of our customers is like 27. Mm-hmm. Um, the vast, vast majority of them are male. 
which is something that you know I'm I'm pushing. Well, it's yeah, you know, I'd love us to kind of definitely target more of a, a female market. It's it's frustratingly similar across this fintech space when you mm, look at investing. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think um, I mean we can talk to that a bit bit later. There's some some reasons behind that, I guess, from a smaller business perspective. But at the moment, like it's it's we're very much focused on activating people who are you know really keen to get into the market. Um, and I think that's that's worked very well for us to date. Um, but the longevity of that strategy, I'm I'm not sure of, obviously, because you know you you tend to burn through that that lev- that tier of the market. I, I think we still got a lot of legs on that. Yeah. Um, but then as we mature, it gives us more resource and more ability to then you know tailor the experience to different segments of the market. So mm-hmm. I think at the moment we're quite. Um, I wouldn't say monotonic because we're not monotonic in any way, but we've got like a single strategy. Um, right. And as we, you know, develop and we have more resources in the business, obviously that'll turn to a much more multi-strategy approach where we are targeting cohorts and segments more specifically. I, I think you used the word intensity previously, like bringing the intensity of, of North American markets to Australia. And as you're building quite an intense business, growing really fast, how do you keep up your personal intensity? You know, wh- where do you go for sort of that intrinsic drive? You know, I just... I love the space. Um, I love the intellectual, um, you, you know, what you kind of have to go through to, to always be there. Um, so I guess some people would say that I'm probably a little bit intense with the way that I'm committed to my work, but I enjoy that. I really enjoy that. So so I, I don't know whether there's somewhere that I go for that or whether it's necessarily it's just who I am. It's your DNA. <laughs> <laughs> um, but certainly it can get like you're a little bit like, oh, just, you know, it's, it's intense. And I think there's a lot of uh, um, you've got to be able to pull away from it as well and switch off. And I've, I certainly saw that, um, you know, with my time in the US or some periods where I just got to it, I was just burnt out. And I was like, I, and you actually lose a lot of perspective in that. I think it's quite right. dangerous, um, you know, from a product management perspective, because you can just end up going down rabbit holes because you get so ingrained in the detail and actually you lose that wider scope of, you know, the customers that you're interacting with don't know about, you know, the level of detail that you're you're dealing with on a day-to-day basis and it's not actually relevant to them. What have you done in the past to pull yourself out of those sort of positions where you're deep in the detail and you need to get back up to, you know, a thousand feet? <laughs> Just go for a surf. All oh, right, <laughs> very good. Easy as that. <laughs> that would have been hard in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Although they actually do have a surfing club on Lake Michigan, but there's only waves in the middle of winter, so I was like, nah, not about that. <laughs> I think it's it's you know there's nothing uh, more valuable than talking to customers and and you realise that like I think particularly in it, it's very different in a B two B world. Mm. Um, so in Swipe Jobs we were you know B two B to C, which is a very difficult product because you're you're dealing with the client management but then also trying to deal with the end user. Um, in B two C it's it's you know very exciting and you've always got you know the ultimate resource which is your customer. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, just going and testing things with them, that's, that's the most valuable thing I could say. When you say talk to your customers, is that, you know, through the app or are you actually like calling them and saying, hey, what do you think about this? How can this be improved? For me personally, it's just, you know, a lot of a lot of my friends and colleagues and acquaintances, you know, I've are either on stake or I've got them on stake. And, and even if they're not stake users, it's just kind of bouncing ideas off them. There's nothing like a sounding board. Yeah, nice. <laughs> do you think that crypto's on the horizon for stake? Um, I think we'd be silly not to be looking at it. Um, mm. I think it's definitely formalizing itself as a more structured market and something that, 
you know, your standard investor is actually looking to get some exposure to. And, you know, at stake, we're all about access. And therefore, you know, our ambitions are to uh, expand what we offer beyond just the US. And, um, you know, it may be in, in some time that that involves crypto. You mentioned sounding boards in your career. Have you, are there any particular places you go to for advice or for mentoring or any particular resources that you just couldn't live without? Um, I think medium is pretty awesome to be honest. Um, in medium, if yeah, you know, the listeners aren't aware is it's just a, a, a blog, um, or a more formalized blog, I guess that's tailored towards um, whatever you like actually, but it's really good in the tech and product space. Um, a lot of your big tech companies have, medium pages and their teams um, post a lot there. And, you know, for me, I basically got um, the vast majority of my learnings from the learnings of others. And most of that's from medium or reading things that are then posted on medium. So Mm. I think like there's a wealth of uh, resource on the internet around product management, around, um, you know, technology in general. It's to some degree, I don't think it's been formalized that well, um, at your, you know, your structured places of education, like university. Yeah. Um, I actually think the resource available online is is of a better quality and mm. more applicable. Um, it's You've got to be very uh, practical in the way that you apply the knowledge and, and always tie it back to an actual business outcome. I think if you don't do that, then, as I say, you can have a great app, but if it doesn't have a business behind it, then it doesn't matter. Totally. All right, last question. So there's going to be a few fintech founders listening to this and even just product managers, but do you have any advice to these guys, like what's your one piece of advice that you could give them? I think focus on your core competency. Uh, It's very easy to, and that's probably a very standard piece of advice, but it's very easy to get kind of caught up in, oh, we can do this and we can do that Mm -hmm. and all the rest. But, you know, for me, the most, the apps and platforms that I interact with on a daily basis aren't necessarily the ones that do everything, but the ones that do a few things really, really well. Mm. Um, and I think if you if you bank your core competency and you actually create a viable business off that, then it gives you a lot more scope to go and chase those other functionalities. So, um, you know, don't get caught trying to do everything at once. Focus on small key things and nail those and then expand from there. And I think you'll end up building a much more uh, sustainable business that way um, because, when you prove value in your core companies, competencies, it'll become obvious what the next good step is to make. And if you try to do too much at once, then you'll end up doing nothing well. Um, and you'll probably get to a point where it's like nothing's working and I have no idea what to do. Mm. Couldn't awesome. agree more. Yep. Focus drives execution. Alex Robertson, product manager at Stake. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Alex. Thank you for listening to the Net Positive Podcast brought to you by Upflowy.